Our gospel lesson for today, the sixth Sunday after Epiphany, comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You should not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for that is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Early last year was one of the most recent times when all four members of my family actually went to a movie together. It hardly ever happens anymore. Our taste has all grown quite different. But this movie that we went and saw together was Avengers Endgame. We were four of everyone on the planet because it's made more than $3 billion. I think everyone in the world has seen it, at least they should have, because it's excellent. If you haven't seen it, watch it. But that's all beside the point. What was interesting about this particular situation, Avengers Endgame is the culmination of more than 11 years of storytelling, almost 30 different movies, countless characters, countless different storylines, all kinds of little moments that all got pulled together into this culmination of a movie. And it was wonderful. Now, when we went, I and both kids had seen all of the other movies ahead of time, so we knew what was coming. But Emily came too, and she had only seen little snippets here and there, hardly anything. So she was pretty lost most of the time. We kept hearing, who's that? What's, what are they talking about? Who, who, who's this one now? And of course, we're like, shh, we're watching the movie. We explained things to her on the way home. but. The point is that she was lost because of all this stuff that had come before. There were all these different threads that were really kind of coming through, all these different stories that came together. It was all tied together into kind of one big thing. And that's the sense that I'm bringing into our gospel lesson for today. 
Through the season of Epiphany, which is kind of coming to a close for us today, there's one more week, but things will be different for us next week. We've been focusing in on this earliest parts of ministry of Jesus, and it all really begins to tie together. For the last probably three or four weeks, we've had a bunch of lessons that are all kind of going right in a row, and all these different storylines or threads or ideas or themes are all kind of building on one another, and they all stem from the very first thing that we ever hear Jesus say in his public ministry, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I love this idea, this whole basis for what Jesus is talking about, but he's reminding us that life here in the kingdom is different. We heard the Beatitudes a few weeks ago and how God has blessed those that the world deems not blessed. We've heard about how there are aspects of our lives as people who live in the reality of the kingdom that can be really good and we're called to be different in the world and to make a difference, but that we can also kind of mess that up. And we heard one thing at the very tail end of last week's gospel. It's the verse that's immediately before where we started today. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the ones who knew the law. They knew all of the rules and they lived their lives in a way that was supposed to be utter perfection. If anyone could get it right, if anyone could earn righteousness through their actions, it was these guys, the scribes and the Pharisees. And then Jesus throws this bomb at us. You have to be better than them. And I wonder if maybe the people who heard him that day were left scratching their heads of, how can we do that? What we have today begins to explore just how difficult Jesus knows that to be. And he starts referencing to different things of the law or different things of society. And he starts with murder. Of all the Ten Commandments that have to do with our relationships with one another, I think this is probably the biggest no-brainer. Don't commit, uh, sorry, wrong one. Don't commit murder. Killing's bad, right? Don't do it. Duh. If you kill someone, you're liable to judgment. Goes without saying. But then Jesus goes a little bit farther. And he says, you ever been angry with someone? If you're angry with someone, you're liable to judgment. That's weird. Last fall when the confirmation kids and I were talking about the Ten Commandments, we talked about this one. We're like, yeah, you ever been angry with someone? Maybe like your brother or sister and one person who shall rename nameless said, yeah, I got mad at my brother yesterday. I'm like, good job, you killed him. And that became our running joke. Killed your brother today? No, he killed me though. Bummer. But that's the progression. Being angry with someone, which leads to violence, which can lead to murder, is the same as committing it. Jesus goes on from there. If you insult someone, you're liable to the council. Still judgment, but now it's the council, which would have been the Sanhedrin, their highest human authority. Insulting someone? gets a higher punishment. But what if you call someone a fool? You're liable to the hell of fire. I don't know about you, but I'm probably guilty of that one by the time I've been out of bed for 10 minutes every day. It's strange because as Jesus explains this, we see the, the apparent severity of the offense, which is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, murder to anger to an insult to calling someone a fool. 
the least severe it gets, the worse the punishment becomes, which doesn't make a lick of sense. But it's an example of two things. One, this great reversal that the kingdom of heaven is bringing around. And two, the fact that it's not just about our actions, but it's about our intentions. It's about our thoughts. It's all encompassing this brokenness that we refer to. It's part of our very being. Now Jesus goes on from there and he talks about several other topics too. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. You've heard it said that if you get divorced, issue a certificate of divorce. You've heard it said that if you make an oath, fulfill it, all these different things. And he goes on to really turn things on their ear, taking the status quo, taking those things that society accepts, that society looks at it this way, maybe even religion looks at it this way, and he says, in the kingdom of heaven, it's different. I believe what this reveals to us is our utter inability to pull it off, our inability in any way, shape, or form to achieve righteousness, that thing that we are talking about, being right in the eyes of God. We can't do it. Doesn't matter how hard we try or don't try. Doesn't matter because our very broken being will come up short. But God doesn't leave us hanging out there. That's the thing that's important about this. I was thinking this morning about the book of Genesis and the creation story. And we've talked about this before. God makes everything, and what does God call it? What's the word? Good. Anybody remember the Hebrew? Tov. There it is. We love that word. Everything's good. God sees it. It's good. God sees it. It's good. God sees it. It's good. Then God makes humanity, and God says, what about humanity? Very good. Tov Mahot, if you remember. I wasn't expecting you to go Hebrew, but we went there. That's okay. God calls it good. Our existence begins from a place that's good. God calls us good. And the fall, brokenness, sin, whatever we want to call it, that's chapter three. It's there, but that's not where we start from. And so God doesn't leave us there. God knows we can't pull this off on our own. God knows we can't fulfill the law ourselves, no matter how hard we might try. And so God does something about it. And we heard about that last week as well. Here's another theme that's coming in from last week. Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill it on your behalf. We can't get to the kingdom of heaven, so God sends the kingdom to us. And we get invited to dwell in it to be a part of it, to be different in this world, to be radically different in this world. That's what I love about the Sermon on the Mount, this big, long teaching that we're a part of. Every single aspect of it is radical. And it's radical for a reason. It's radical because the grace of God is radical. What I love about all of this stuff is it's all about our relationships, our relationships with God and us, our relationships among ourselves between one another, even our relationships with ourselves and with this world that we're a part of. And we know that we mess it up. Two people get in a room, they're gonna disagree. Maybe not right away, but it will happen. It happens everywhere. It even happens here in the church. It may even happen at council meetings. Imagine that. I'm pretty sure there's probably been times when I've gotten into a disagreement with somebody and maybe our intentions are good. We're just coming at things from different ways. And when I've walked out of there, I've thought, there's no way they can be right. How can they even think that? 
That's unforgivable. And they're probably walking out thinking the exact same thing about me. Like, how could he think that? Unforgivable. That's human reality. But there's something that puts us all on even ground. And that's that we are all flawed. We are all broken. We all fall short. And God knows it. And God has done something about it. And not just sending Jesus, although that's the basis for all this, but God has also given us tangible, physical actions that we can hold on to to remind us that we are forgiven of the brokenness that we are a part of. Now, one of them happens right here in the waters of this font when God claims us as beloved children and we receive God's grace. And the other one happens right up here at this table where we receive the body and the blood of Jesus, which is broken and poured out for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. And here's the amazing thing. When that person that I utterly disagree with and think, man, that's so wrong, that's unforgivable, they come up here, they receive the body and blood, and they're forgiven, and I have to deal with it. And then I receive it, and they have to deal with it. Even ground. But that's radical. This gospel that we profess, this gospel that we hold onto, that we cling to with every atom of our being, because we have to, is so earth-shatteringly amazing when we learn it's for me. And that maybe I'm not good enough. In fact, I know that I'm not, and God loves me anyway. And the truth is the same for every one of you. It's the same for me. It's the same for every person out there. God loves us so darn much, despite all logic, that God will come among us as one of us so we can look to him and remember, I am forgiven. We announce this at the beginning of worship every single week as we do the confession and we confess our brokenness to God and to one another. And then every single stinking week, we hear that word of absolution. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ, by his authority, not mine, by his, I declare unto each of you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins. Why? Because God loves you that stinking much. And that's worth getting excited about. I'm getting a little, getting a little worked up here, so maybe that's a good time for me to wrap it up. Amen? Amen.